Hey everyone, uh, welcome to episode 49, Muscoff Muscon. Uh, I could have done something with muskets, uh, but unfortunately, no, Joe Walsh is not here. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller, it's Versus Media Live on Colin, and uh, haven't done this, I think we did this last week. Um, so it's been a while, which is good, kind of keeps things fresh. Uh, I will be doing a couple more of these this week, uh, so we're not going to go too long, probably just about an hour tonight so we can all uh, get back to your baseball and or bed or whatever. Uh, a few things. Uh, I'm a little bit behind, uh, but I did want to talk about the idea that Elon Musk's deal to purchase Twitter is appear- apparently back on. Uh, although they still look like they're going through litigation. We'll know more about that next week on the 17th. Um, but it looks like for the time being, he's he's going to purchase Twitter. And... That obviously, we got all the right people teased off about it again and, you know, freaking out about it, including Ben Collins at NBC News and Parker Malloy at Media Matters and a few other places. Basically, all the right people. Um, But we had an incident this weekend uh, with our dear old Kanye West that kind of puts Twitter in a perspective, I think, on several levels, as well as... Kanye's dance with the political right, uh, which to me doesn't see a marketing op to save their life, because there is an element of the political right that is, despite being counter to celebrity culture, uh, feels a need for validation in some of that stuff. Uh, It's something I've been warning against or trying to warn against for years and years and years and years and years. And it's how you end up with Senate candidates like Herschel Walker and Mehmet Oz and a few others. Uh, I guess a counter-argument to embracing celebrity culture and political right is you might end up with a Ronald Reagan. Uh, My counter-argument to that is Kanye West was not governor of California for 12 years, thank God. So you get a guy who uses politics, in my opinion, to market himself and kind of play contrarian to culture, which is all fun and neat. Um, But when you see the the White Lives Matter t-shirt, which is all fine, I don't care about that, Uh, and then he has a sit-down with Tucker where he says he's pro-life and all of a sudden everyone's jumping up on him. Oh boy, this is great, Kanye West, pro-life. And then he goes full-blown black Israeliite on Twitter, going DEFCON 3, uh, screaming about the Jewish people. And now there's a subset of political right that has to either explain that off or just kind of ignore it and shove it under the carpet or whatever. Uh, but I found what was interesting is Twitter suspended his account over those remarks. And this is an interesting test uh, because Musk welcomed Kanye back on. And I do have a problem with Twitter suspending his account over that stuff because every day the uh, Ayatollah of Iran is, is hitting his Twitter buttons and talking about the Holocaust denial. Uh, we have obviously certain U.S. Congresswomen uh, known for making repart- remarks about APAC and following the Benjamins, and that's Ian Omar, Rashida Tlaib, who just put a, a sticker over Israel completely on a map in her office. So some anti-Semitism is allowed on the platform, and we also have Louis Farrakhan, who sits happily platformed on Twitter as well. And so I find this interesting in the sense of Kanye West getting his account locked and uh, the tweet deleted by Twitter at roughly the same time that Elon Musk, who could be purchasing Twitter and owning Twitter, uh, was welcoming Kanye back on. Of course, you're going to get fact checkers. You're going to get, again, the Ben Collins or the Taylor Lorenzes saying this is what Twitter is going to be if if Musk runs it. I'm like, hey, guys, that's what it is right now. (laughs) 
uh, I, I think there was even a case of uh, like Ice Cube, the actor and rapper, put up an anti-Semitic meme a few months ago, and that account wasn't locked either. So I do see the hypocrisy in this stuff. Um, but again, uh, where I kind of step in is to warn the political right about, you know, celebrity thirst traps. That just because someone who's culturally, culturally relevant uh, validates your belief system does not make this person suddenly uh, someone to worship or idol. And it's largely how the party ends up at somebody like Donald Trump, which I know some of you think is a net gain. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting things in that uh, in regards to West and Elon Musk that are happening there. So I know we're a little bit behind the news uh, on this stuff, but it is something I've had in my mind for and something I wanted to do last week and just didn't get a chance to do it. Um, so that's kind of my brief setup. Um, so any thoughts on those on those two topics uh, are certainly welcome. Of course, you're free to go off topic as well. I'm not, you know, I'm not running the speaking of the Holocaust like a, uh, a concentration camp here. So feel free to uh, just spit out whatever's on your mind. Like I said, we've been a while. Uh, I'm going to keep it brief here in the beginning because I already have some people lined up and I want to try to get through as many as possible. I'm pretty much going to be a hard out at uh, 9.30 Eastern. Uh, but if I don't get to you, just know that I will be doing this probably Thursday and then a Saturday one as well. So every other day just to kind of give us some breathing room. And uh, so uh, just hold on to any comments, questions, if I don't get around to you guys. But uh, I, I'm certainly going to try. Uh, I'll start up here. My two Davids, my Joe, I see a few people back there. And as always, just uh, just note that there are people behind you. And uh, we want to try to get through as many people as possible. So just try to keep it brief. I know that doesn't always happen. We, we kind of go with the flow here. And, and as always, if you can, try to mute your microphone just to cut down on uh, exterior noises or anything like that. One, it helps me focus. It's mainly a thing with me. Uh, but two, it just makes it so much more enjoyable for the listener um, doing planes, trains, and automobiles there. Um, so any any thoughts you might have on Musk, on big tech, on the silencing of Kanye, the political rights embrace of Kanye, um, which, you know, I've, I've written about pretty much at length, not just about him, but the embrace of celebrity culture that, you know, the political right also claims to hate. Um, and so it feels like that uh, this happens a lot and this happens uh, more and more is just kind of the need to belong. And also, I think it's, you know, it's a way of for the conservatives and political right to also kind of stick a thumb in the eye of those people. So but it's something that I wholeheartedly reject. Um, that doesn't mean every single case. I had someone talk, mention this to me about like J.D. Vance, for example, today. And I don't necessarily think that that counts. I will say there's an element of what I believe to be professional jealousy with someone like J.D. Vance and kind of the coalition of the very concerned, as I like to call them, who is someone who, you know, wrote a popular book, who had his book turned into a film for Netflix, directed by Ron Howard and had a pretty good cast. Um, and so I think there's a fine line between uh, somebody from celebrity culture who has uh, a firm grasp of policy ideals and say values, uh, I'm, you'll just never convince me that Kanye West is that person. So with that, there's a good launching pad. We'll just jump in here. Uh, I'm just going to check back there. Um, I'm going to actually hop over and I'm going to take Sheila first because I know Sheila was cut off last time. Um, so I'm going to kind of just do things a little bit different here. Sheila, I just made you jump the whole line of dudes here. Holy so, uh, go All ahead. right. That's a nice unexpected thing that happened today mood what Hi, can Steven. i tell you um 
what can you tell me? I know that the, the left is busy canceling their own like they typically do. Um, I think Katie Halper was thrown in the dungeon for for something she said about Palestine. So I, I think that there's routine. They're just now words that I think the State Department is laundering through somebody at Twitter. It's not really clear who that might be. Um, and it's kind of you know, petty tyrant of the week. It doesn't really, the way I think things are organized over there from what I understand through the whistleblowing of uh, Mudge is that, that, you know, pretty much anybody can get in there and cancel whomever they want because they have administrative access. It's not real, like clinical. You don't, don't need a real reason to cancel anybody. But if it happens, it's kind of because, you know, petty tyrant of the day decided to jump up and play troll monitor and it's it's not real considerate now if somebody wanted to cancel kanye west today and elon musk goes hey 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 hey, knock it off you know that's kind of how the architecture of that social media company works so it, it, it's, it is it's, kind cer- of- it certainly is a platform that empowers people to kind of wander the countryside and shoot the survivors of, you know, a, a zombie apocalypse. I, uh, what she was referring to is, <laughs> I guess, Katie Halper. Katie Halper's a contributor for The Hill, uh, was fired for basically calling Israel an apartheid state. You also had Rashida Tlaib making these comments. And uh, I also thought it was interesting that we had Karine Jean-Pierre today was either asked about Kanye or she condemned it saying, you know, when... Democrats hear anti-Semitic or hate speech, we condemn it, which we know is a lie. Um, and they say, oh, well, Republicans embrace it and cheer it. And Karine Jean-Pierre herself wrote an op-ed in 2016 for Newsweek magazine uh, telling progressives to boycott APAC, which APAC was just kind of a, you know, a, a non-offensive gathering for, you know, uh, all the world's Jews. Um, and so this has now become an inflection point with the progressives where they basically say APAC is the, is the funneling financial aspect of Israel. And so that's, you know, boycotting APAC has turned into this kind of a tentpole issue for, the, for BDS. And so it's kind of what they believe. That's great. Um, I didn't know really too much about Katie Halper. I saw something about it. I'm not someone who I, I play part in the cancel culture or anything like that until it kind of reaches our front doorstep. But um, sorry, not to interrupt you, but it is interesting, yeah. like I said, it, it is interesting like why even the White House press secretary is commenting on the, the Twitter suspension of a celebrity. And that's kind of my point. It's like that feels like where we're yeah. at. And that kind of started with Obama, where we had to get Obama's opinion on everything. He called Kanye a jackass, and that was a huge to-do. And we've never broken that. We, ha- we haven't, and, and even Trump, to a certain extent, dabbled in that whole shit. But we, we, we haven't gotten back to, say, a, an administration that is just like, I don't have fucking time to deal or answer questions about Kanye. Next yeah, question. Yeah, there's no presidential beef with Kanye. Like, I, I guess there, there's like the... the the totally architected, like it's completely troll farmed. It's astroturf trolling of Kanye. Like they, they create some beef. I think Nicki Minaj rents her beefs for like a certain amount of dollars. Like, okay, 
in order to get you press, I have to do a beef with you and that's this dollar amount. So here, if you, if you pay me X amount of dollars, I will start some, some arbitrary, you know, beef with you on the internet for, for no reason. I'll, I'll, I'll invent some problem that you didn't have before and then there will be beef and then people will talk about it and then you'll get more press because TMZ will have something to write about. Uh, I've talked about like certainly in the past where when you, especially when controversies around Disney or Marvel films come up um, where, you know, a, a, a cast member who is, you know, of color, for instance, and then there's just out of the blue, there's a controversy or they comment on it because someone with 11 Twitter followers, you know, said something stupid. And I've always said, like, this is not these are not controversies I trust anymore because they happen like clockwork. And two, you don't know who's behind those Twitter accounts. You, I mean, they're anonymous accounts. No. They could be a, an AI-generated face. And the fact that they have to go to sort of like five or six or seven Twitter accounts with 100 followers kind of says to me that they are, they are manufacturing uh, media for whether it's Kenobi or if it was mm-hmm. we even had it with The Phantom Menace or not The Phantom Menace, whatever the fucking reboot was, uh, The Force Awakens. Uh, with the black stormtrooper, which I wrote about directly, that there just wasn't a controversy here. And, you know, I've raised the specter of this where, you know, someone who's touched the fringes of Hollywood and you have no idea what those people will do to promote their shows and their films. And uh, I've even had people say, are you suggesting that, you know, Disney is doing this themselves? And I've said, yeah, it's not to me out of the realm of possibility that, you know, Disney has a little team of marketers who create Twitter accounts and then call one of their cast members the N-word or something. And then they can go <gasps> and they can get Ewan McGregor on video defending her. And, and, and all it does is generate more press. And certainly the fact that this happens every single time with uh, with Marvel or with Disney, the one time that I saw this happen just a couple of weeks ago, where I it was just kind of organic. And the and to me, the political right gets trolled into Hi, this Steven. stuff too much. Was of course was of course the Black Mermaid whole thing that I think Matt Walsh bit on. And I'm just kind of like this. Just feels like cultural troll bait. Like they're just trying to get you to to weigh in on this when the the attitude is ah, there's nothing wrong with that. Who cares? Um, but that's a completely different conversation for a different time. So Sheila, give you some final thoughts or anything from last. Cause I know I cut you off last time. So I'll give you a little bit extra. Elon Musk. You're going to have a cleaner, tighter Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? I mean, it can't get it. Can't get it. Like we're, we're still getting canceled. Yeah. It, can, it won't get any worse. That's, that's what I can pretty much guarantee. Um, it's going to be interesting. Well, it should, I mean, I mentioned when the, when they announced the deal was back on all of a sudden I was purged of like 5,000 Twitter followers and other people saw this happen. And to me, it was just bots. It was Twitter going, fuck, get rid of the bots. I know it's bots. Um, and, and then now, and now I'm back up to pretty much where I was previously because I think that they unthrottled my account. Um, and so that kind of shenanigans I think will stop in which case that's good. That's good for my finances because I use Twitter as a marketing tool as well. Um, but as I've said, I don't think it can get any worse and it's going to be interesting to, you know, the Kanye thing is, is, is instrumental in the sense of if this would have happened under Elon Musk, for instance, and, and Kanye just screamed out the Jewish people or the Pentaverate or whatever he said, and nobody took action on that. tweet. <laughs> 
like Musk and they ask Elon Musk about it. And he just goes, you know what? I don't agree with that. Or maybe he does. I don't know. Um, I don't agree with that, but I'm not going to ban him over it. And that will get all of, again, that'll get the Taylor Lorenzo screaming murder. They'll get the Ben Collins, the Brandy Zardrosny's, the, the Parker Malloy's screaming, you know, see, this is exactly what we're talking about. When that kind of shit happens every single day from the Iranian government uh-huh. or, you know, Louis Farrakhan or, you know, random accounts. And so that's that's my answer to that is anyone screaming that, you know, this is what this is what Elon Musk Twitter is going to look like. I say this is what Twitter looks like now. You just you just turn your eyes away from that or you agree with, you know, the, right. the PLO and you agree with BDS. And that's why. And so uh, I look at it and I've just said, I've said it before. I don't think, I don't think he can make it worse per se. You know, I don't, he's kind of a guy who wouldn't just buy it and leave it alone. He's, he's also talked about, you know, the purchase of Twitter is the first step in kind of creating an everything in one place app, uh, which was kind of what Zuckerberg. It's funny that you said that. Zuckerberg wanted to do that with Facebook. So, right. right. I mean, and, and guys, also this thing with PayPal with the twenty five hundred dollar fine. Right. Uh, Musk was was a, a personality uh, leader, I guess, of, of sorts, uh, trying to get the social media titans to kind of kind of back up off of the the need to become a sanctioning vehicle, yeah. like using PayPal for sanctions. And yeah, it was um, it's interesting. Marcus I have also. I ha- I haven't commented a lot on the PayPal thing because I read it and I was kind of like, I read stories on it and then I actually read the policy and I was kind of back and forth on it. I'm like, well, I see what they're saying, but it doesn't really state. And then PayPal walked it back, and now I was like, oh, that okay, so it is bad. As soon as as soon as PayPal walked it back, I'm like, okay, so they know they fucked up then. Um, and that's yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. And we've already seen that. We've seen banks politicized. We've seen, you know, the Biden administration try to use banks against gun owners, for instance. And so it's this idea mm-hmm. of lever- leveraging big tech uh, to, to your ideological point of view. And that's something that I guess if I had to give Elon Musk credit for something, it doesn't look like he's all that interested in doing that. Um, I've, I've said my the one thing, Elon Musk is another good example about how the right embraces kind of celebrity culture. Uh, when I think Elon Musk is more, in, I think he's more interested in counterculture, for instance. I don't think he goes on Joe Rogan and smokes pot because he agrees with Joe Rogan. I think it's because it's the counterculture and people are telling him not to do it. And Elon Musk, by his very nature, <laughs> is, someone, you know, is someone who's thrived his entire career by doing things people have told him not to do. And I, I also think Kanye West is very much like that. So, you know, when they say, hey, don't wear the MAGA hat, mm. guess what he's going to fucking do? He's going to fucking go wear the MAGA hat. Because he knows it's going to cause a reaction. And I really do think it, it's almost no more difficult than that. And so, you know, when people were like, it, it's funny because I'm convinced Elon Musk went to go buy Twitter because of the Babylon Bee getting banned. And there's people who agree with that. I know. Um, that's a pretty good reason because the Babylon Bee is a satirical joke site that for some reason has has drawn the ire of fact checkers and journalists and media I think one because it's Christian, two because it's satire, and three because it is funny. It's one of the few places where the political right gets some set, gets some satirical things right because of how plugged in I think their younger writers were. And so I do think there is validation to the fact that Elon Musk said, "Fuck it! If Twitter is just going to start banning things like 
the Babylon B, I'm just going to buy them. And so I think the Babylon B would probably be, that would be the first account restored, like 100%. And so, and that would be a very good thing because that's not an account that did anything in violation of rules. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. But like I said, Elon Musk is another example where the political right just latches onto him. And then it's like, hold on, this this dude has praised China. He's basically telling Taiwan to surrender to China mm-hmm. because of how much money he has invested in Tesla o- overseas. And that's something to me where I'm, I just, I can't, I can't get on board yeah. to like cheerlead a guy. I can say when he's right and I can say when he's wrong. But this idea of cheerleading guys like Musk or Kanye is it's a bridge too far for me. I just can't do it. I can't I can't I can't even jump in line with Candace Owens and people saying, well, what do you actually meant by saying Jew? Uh, No, I I just I can't do that. And I don't think anyone else should either. So, Sheila, I'll give you one second to wrap up. Hey there, I. I think he coined it pretty good. Um, I don't always agree with everything that Candace Owens says or does, but she attached herself successfully to that moment. And so people will be talking about her for five minutes and, you know, we'll be on to the next thing tomorrow. Yeah, I guess it, I guess it depends on what you mean by successfully. So if it was to keep her name out there, I would agree, but that kind of also just proves my point in all of this. So Sheila, thanks. Uh, sorry to have to have dumped you last, uh, last week, but I, I wanted to at least get you up here. So, uh, David, go ahead. You're up. I want to talk a little bit about Kanye West. I, uh, <laughs> I've been a fan of Kanye West pretty much since he's, since he was coming out of Chicago and the, the college dropout. Uh, which was his first album. Um, one thing, but this is probably like the first time, like, that I can remember just being like, oh, that's so terrible. Why would he say that? So, and, you know, that's just, that's who Kanye is. Years ago, um, I remember, like, I remember, uh, it was the Katrina thing where he said, I, I you know, George Bush doesn't like black people. It was during kind of the celebrity telethon for Katrina. He was standing with Mike Myers. Mike Myers was talking about the devastation and he said the need to help, da da da. He, Kanye West just goes, George Bush doesn't care about black people. And suddenly Mike Myers wanted to be anywhere but standing next to him at that moment. You can just, <laughs> see, you can just see Mike Myers just go, I just, okay, I want out of here, please. Yeah. And Kanye West is, he's probably regarded as the great, probably one of the greatest rappers of my generation, which is I'm 32 years old. Um, let me see. He, so over the past couple of years, he's kind of had like this like Christian conservative, like awakening. And I've been a little bit skeptical of it. Um, even in hearing like some of his lyrics and some of his songs, like you kind of get a bit, maybe, okay, he is like actually like sitting down and reading and he, it might be somewhat real, but people who are fans of Kanye have kind of known him to do these type of things when he's about to sell something or there's going to be a new album. So Kanye West is not just a rapper. He's also kind of overtaken Michael Jordan in selling shoes. Um, he, like, um, if you're also kind of a sneakerhead and into that culture, uh, Jordans aren't the hottest things anymore. They're Yeezys, uh, the shoes that he makes and he gets into clothing 
And he's also going through a, a legal, like, fight with Adidas and Gap uh, over his clothes because he's not, he hasn't been able to do what he's wanted uh, with those companies. And so he's, I guess he like, he's in some type of legal fight with them. Um, but, yeah, the thing with his, with his comments with um, Jews this weekend, what I thought was interesting was that it was very much black Israel-like uh, uh, ideology that you heard. And if you remember the Covington kids, the people that um, that were in that crowd, kind of the instigators, who I remember people in the media were kind of egging on or kind of uh, cheerleading, were black Israelites. And I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, some blue check accounts, you know, just kind of like praising this ideology that is very disgusting. And uh, those people are very uh, uh, volatile people uh, around them. And there's a lot of them in Miami. Um, yeah, if you if you've uh, ever walked, they're they're all over street corners in Manhattan and New York City as well. And um, for for anyone who's kind of unfamiliar with the Black Israeli movement, they're people who basically blame Jews for nine eleven. Um, they basically try to get your attention with kind of that most incendiary kind of dialogue and things like that. Um, and you're right, you're right. It's I mean it's it's kind of, it's more you know far left Black nationalism, but you're right about they were kind of the ones egging on the Covington kids. And that was a fact that nobody knew about until, you know, of course, after the fact, um, I think what's interesting is the people will, you know, all the people in media. And like you said about his, his music career will scream about, uh, what an anti-Semite he is because he appeared on Tucker Carlson and et cetera. Um, and then they will go out and they will watch his latest live stream of whatever fuck stunt he's doing in a stadium with, you know, a hundred thousand weird looking dancers or whatever. Um, and they, and they will, they will line up and buy his albums. And this, you know, this, this is what's interesting. Kind of what Sheila was tapping into about cancel culture is they really do get to decide. So, you know, Kanye West will now come out with an album and they will all buy it. You will see journalists and especially like MSNBC or Rolling Stone will all praise it. And, you know, they will decide who kind of the tastemakers are and whatever. Um, so, uh, David, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Yeah, um, it was just a it's, a, it's a kind of like nitpicking. I hate that fact that anti-Semitism is where is, a, is kind of a nitpick thing with uh, the media, uh, where you got sitting members of Congress, um, Congress who have pictures of our, who have, uh, Things of uh, like pictures of Palestine over Israel uh, in the in their Senate in their offices, and the most you know an awful thing to say, but this is nothing compared to what Ilan Omar and other people's uh, um, other people in the squad have said about Israel or even um, or even uh, even Jews themselves. Um, and like you said, the Ayatollah's on there. It's still on Twitter, and you know, I, I, it's just because uh, Kanye West has now become somebody of the right, whether he's conservative or not. He's become of the right, and he's been kind of put, pushed out by the you know the the um, you know the very the very online black Twitter type of, type of crowd, like you know. Again, 
Kanye will flip back in six months to whatever yeah. to whatever the contrarian message is going to be there. So, um, I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. I see, I see personalities, and I'm not saying Tucker Carlson, for instance. I, I mean, Tucker Carlson's a he's an interviewer, so he'll interview anybody. I mean, you can you can go back to William F. Buckley, who would you know talk to just about anybody. So, but as soon as he sits down, kind of with Kanye, that kind of to to our media reaffirms the fact, like you said, that he is of the right. The problem there to me is any if they say that he is of the right, um, he's just going to basically flip on them as well. And then of course conservatives will cheer and say, "Hey, there you go." But uh, I, I think that there's a lesson to be learned here. Uh, David, I'm going to go ahead and skip on to my other David, so it's good to hear from you. Good thoughts. Thank you. Uh, David, go ahead. My other David. Well, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, I, had, I, I had myself a long day, but uh, I'm making time for all of you. <laughs> okay. Okay, uh, I'm gonna. I will be as. Uh, I'll make this as painless as possible. Because yeah, it sounds like you did put in a day, and you've got uh, lots. Of, by the way, the guy behind me, Joe, he's good people. I know him a little bit. Uh, he kind of sponsored me into Clubhouse, and uh, obviously a big fan of yours and uh, a bright dude. There, everybody here is good people, David. Well, you're, um, no, uh, no doubt that's true. I can only speak for experience for one of them. Uh, and that's Joe. But yes, uh, I'll take it on faith. They're all good people. And I wanted to ask you about, uh, you mentioned the Babylon Bee. And I wanted to ask you about comedy in general. You've spoken uh, at length and uh, especially recently about, you know, the state of late night comedy, how it's a monoculture, you know, Trevor Noah kind of embodies it. He He just got fired. But they're, they all kind of view the world one way they all express themselves in a certain way they don't they don't allow kind of a heterodox point of view all their jokes have the same uh have this you know everyone there's a certain group of people that are the butt of the jokes and that doesn't vary and certain other people can never be the butt of the joke um unlike you know late night uh, comedians of decades past where they're more egalitarian you know carson would would raz the uh, Republicans and he'd raz the Democrats. Those days are over. But I wanted to ask you this and tell me if you think this is accurate. Um, Jim Downey was a great comedy writer, one of the few openly conservative comedy writers of any renown, talked about how uh, the reason and he wrote for SNL for decades and he was just talking on a podcast with David Spade and uh, Dana Carvey a couple of months ago about how the reason, and I kind of suspected this, and he kind of confirmed it, the reason that they were reluctant to make fun of Obama on SNL was, yes, because most of the writers and cast members were in the tank for him. Uh, they loved him, or at least they loved what he you know, represented. But the other reason was they knew that their audience didn't want to hear Obama made fun of. And a lot of comedians are were, yes, in the tank for Obama, but also a lot of them, wouldn't go on stage and do jokes about them because they knew their audience, mostly young people. They're the ones who go to comedy clubs did not want to hear that president dragged. It's an entire generation now, unlike young people of the past who were open to hearing whatever uh, person was in power, whatever his political stripes, they had no problem hearing that person made fun of that has changed where now there's an entire generation that has sort of uh, is now kind of intoxicated 
by wokeness and has kind of imbibed wokeness and is they're woke religionists in a way. They don't want to hear uh, certain groups of people made fun of. And that's kind of a new thing. And I want to know, first of all, if you agree with that. And secondly, if that is true, or at least partly true, do you see that changing? Do you think this generation can become as egalitarian in their appreciation for comedy as their parents and grandparents were? Over to you. Um, I'm, kind, I'm a firm believer in pendulum swings. So, I mean, the first the first time you saw this kind of, kind of the mask come off of this whole woke bullshit about how much they care and we care about black lives and we care, black lives matter and all of this stuff was when a black comedian was decided that he can't do a special about transgenderism. And you you see this happen a lot over the, on that side of the aisle where there's almost this there's this rush to just out-victimize each other. Look how fast the Dobbs decision erased transgenderism. It was, you know, it was men can have babies, men can do this, and all of a sudden Dobbs comes down, Roe v. Wade gets out, and all of a sudden it's women need to fight. And it's like, wait a second, what happened to the men that need to fight? Um, it was Dave Chappelle's special to me that really threw the mask off that whole movement, which was, you know what, we care about you. We care about black lives. Black lives matter. And then Dave Chappelle comes out and, you know, I'm a turf. And all of the sudden they're protesting Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is now not funny. Dave Chappelle's time is over. Oh, I don't like him. Oh, it's, and it was really interesting to me because you could say to them, so what you're saying is, is the black man is not allowed to have his opinions. Is that what we're saying? And of course, they're not going to answer you on that because they, when you bring up that example, they know that their hypocrisy is kind of all fully out in the open. And then it's worth noting that they say that, you know, Chappelle's jokes are going to get people killed. They're dangerous. That's what we hear. Uh, ben Sass is now looking like he's the president of the University of Florida and students who are protesting him are using the exact same language that he endangers us. He's a threat. And this is language that comes from campuses and it's languages that has proliferated at places like the Washington Post by Taylor Lorenz, who says, you know, libs of TikTok is going to get somebody killed um, when the only documented uh, violence out of the whole transgenderism debate was someone who rushed the stage and tried to stab Dave Chappelle, um, who was upset at his jokes. And so that to me was the moment that everyone should have woken up, pardon the pun, um, as to what is going on with these people and what this is really about. This has nothing to do with being offended at Dave Chappelle's jokes. This is about someone who was basically just speaking out against the orthodoxy. And of course you had, they tried to get people to storm out of Netflix and they tried to get people to cancel their Netflix subscriptions, except Netflix has infinitely more woke comedians on there than Dave Chappelle or Bill Burr, for instance. And so I, I do think there pendulums do swing. And what I mean by that is when you see who kind of are, the, the people noted as the funniest comedians out there. None of them are espousing, you know, woke talking points. You'll get them. You get Hannah Gadsby, for instance, who is just adored by the NPR left, for instance. And she basically just goes out there and scolds you and scolds men and scolds, you know, whatever. And it's not really comedy. Um, 
but then you'll get people like Chappelle or you'll get people like Bill Burr. You'll get people like, you know, just people who are not even really political people like Anthony Jeselnik, for instance, who are just out there, just no filter. And to me, and I think a lot of old school comedians knew this, the second that you limit yourself on what you can and can't joke about your, your career is over because you're signaling to the audience where they can hit you. And as we just talked about with Sheila, that there's a, there's a subsection of people out there that that's all they want to do. And so once you basically say as a, as a, as a joke writer, or like you said, uh, Downey from SNL that, Hey, this is off limits right there. You, you have decided that you're no longer a joke writer because that's kind of the point of comedy. Nothing, should be off limits. Nothing is now. Pe- there's things people will find more tasteful than others. I mean, you can you can cut jokes about 9-11 that people aren't going to find funny, uh, but I think that that's okay. You're, not every joke is made for every single person, and that's kind of what they're trying to do. They're trying to do this inclusive style comedy. Um, I do kind of wish the political right would sort of cease taking the bait. Perfect example. We just saw Minnie Kaling from formerly of the office, uh, reboot Scooby-Doo into an adult cartoon for HBO max. And this dominated the discourse at Twitter for a day, uh, where they cut out Scooby-Doo. The funniest thing I think that happened is they made Shaggy the unemployed, lazy stoner guy, a black man in the effort of inclusivity. And you just kind of go, they really don't know. They just, they have no idea what they're doing. Um, But this was something the political right jumped all over again for a day. And I kind of just shrugged and went, this isn't going to be successful. This is going to probably bomb because you're simply appropriating another property and you're changing the skin tones and things like that. And I think people are onto that kind of thing. And they tried to make it funny and they're trying to make it adult and it's Velma and it's all. And I kind of just shrugged and went, well, this is going to fucking bomb. So what's the point of, you know, getting all up in a craw about it? Um, and so I, I look at that kind of stuff and I, I and I say that, yeah, what, what will eventually happen is Dave Chappelle's on the older side. And now you see people like Bill Maher, who's on with Dave Rubin. And Bill Maher is basically flirting with voting for DeSantis now and all of the stuff. And. What needs to happen is you get a younger generation of comedians or actors or performers uh, who will see that trend and go, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to buck this. I don't care if my audience gets pissed. There's an entire genre of comedy that is dedicated to pissing off your audience. Andy Kaufman is a, is a, is a, uh, a forefather of this style of comedy. And I don't think it serves anyone right to say, well, Richard Pryor couldn't get away with these jokes today or anything like that. Well, because it's a different culture, but there will come younger comedians, there will come younger performers who will tap into that. And, you know, I don't think any amount of bad press is going to be things to stop them because if they're good and if they're interesting, people are going to listen to them and people are going to go to their shows and people are going to laugh at their jokes or whatever. And so I, I do believe in pendulum swings. Um, I do think wokeness overall has a, uh, a time limit on it. Um, I could be wrong about that, but you're already seeing, you know, when, when they decide something is not politically popular, they ditch it like Latinx or Latinx, but you do bring up a point about Obama, which was, they were kind of scared of their audiences. Uh, you know, when rodeo clowns are getting fired for wearing a mask and being declared a racist, uh, that does scare people. It scares professionals into that kind of attitude. The other thing that it does is it leads right down the road to severe overreactions like electing Donald Trump president. Yeah, no, well, 
no question about that. Uh, you're, I mean, you've talked so eloquently about, and I love. I hope you do end up publishing your book about you know all the the uh, the events, the confluence of events that went into getting that guy elected. Um, but uh, it, it, it's distressing to me because I don't see any signs. And you mentioned the Ruben Marr interview, which I assume you watched on. Did you see it on YouTube in the last few days or something? Uh, I saw, I watched clips of it. I didn't sit down and watch the whole thing. Um, okay. But, you but, know, Carol Markowitz brought up a point about it. It all comes down to how much are you willing to take uh, of, of how much they're going to push you. And we're starting to already see limits of that. And eventually those limits will cross over to entertainment and it'll cross over to things like stand-up comedy and things like that, um, where performers will only take so much bullying. And, you know, Kathy Griffin said it, you know, someone who is a clearly on a, a dodo on the political left, when Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage, she was the first one to kind of come out or I'm sorry, no, this was when Will Smith went up and hit Chris Rock at the Oscars. She basically came out and said, you've just given the green light. Is If he's not punished, you've just now given the green light for anyone to basically attack a comedian over a joke they don't like. And she's absolutely right about that because we saw Chappelle attack. There was a couple other instances with other comedians. And I do think there was a large, you know, Smith thought that he wasn't, you know, Chris Rock could make that joke and there would be no consequences because he's in the political right. And the interesting thing about when that happened was you, you Anya Presley, uh, one of the squad members and, you know, uh, a, a United States congressperson came out and praised Will Smith for doing exactly what he did. And she ended up deleting it because I think she realized, oh, shit, you know, her staff realized, oh, that's actually assault on national television. Not that they care. Um, yeah. Well, so okay. I, See, I do think I do think a time does come when it's like people. I mean, generations change, political attitude change, you know. And it's not really about politics. You know, it's like you said, I, the political right has sat back for years and years and years while George Carlin, you know, made fun of them. And we still praise Carlin because Carlin had bigger issues at hand. We knew that while he, he hated Reagan and he hated conservatives and whatever, Carlin hated censorship worse. And that's a deal I think we've made with certain entertainers and certain performers. And I do think that that's a deal conservatives are making with Elon Musk, which is someone who's not a conservative. Uh, to me, who is too too close in ties with China, but Elon Musk also supposedly hates censorship. There's other priorities that we're willing to say, okay, we'll we'll let you stay around. We're not going to try. We're not going to burn your house down. Um, and so, I do think that you know that's something that possibly could could come back around. Um, I, I will say things like free speech are at its most fragile that I've ever seen in my personal or professional career. Okay, that's that's I completely agree with you. I. I mean, I know there's other there's other people. Uh, so I'll, I'll sign off in uh, 15 seconds. I just I would just say that I am I am more pessimistic. And I think if you watch the whole interview with with Mar and well, I won't I, you have other things to do with your life, but it's a good interview. But at one point, maybe you saw this, maybe you didn't. Mar was talking about how when millennials were driving him crazy, he was always being told that the generation after the millennials, Zoomers, were going to be better. Generation Z would be better. They'd be more free thinking. They'd have their, they'd be just, they'd act in a more sane fashion. And he realized around 2015, that was not the case, that, that his line was, they, you know, Zoomers turned out to make millennials look like Marines, that they're far worse. We were told they'd be better. They'd be a little Alex Keaton's, some of them. They are not, they are far worse. So I respect you so much. And I hope you're right that the pendulum will swing. I am seeing no 
signs right now on the part of that generation that they are about to be, you know, more free thinking in their attitude. None. And I hope, I hope that changes. I just, I never said when the pendulum would swing. So, right. Uh, but it, it, it generally does, especially in culture and politics. Um, and, and it just, it really depends. Of course, you know, if you get a Republican president in there in 2024, suddenly we'll all go back to being okay about making fun of the president and all of that. But then it just becomes down to, you know, younger generations. Do they want to really be a part of that? Do they, I mean, is Billy, is Billy Joel Armstrong from Green Day still going to be up there with eyeliner at, at 65 years old screaming about, you know, the American idiot or whatever like that? I mean, younger kids are going to go, I don't want to listen to this fucking guy. He's older than my dad. And so, um, I mean, I, it could be the next generation. It could not be. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, we've seen how just how fast and how hard pendulums can swing, at least in political life and even certainly in media. Um, so it, I don't have a doubt that it will eventually happen in, in areas like stand-up comedy and whatever. So, David, Here's thank hoping. you. I'm going to jump on. I'm going to jump over to Joe and try to get through uh, everyone here. But, Joe, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Stephen, good to talk to you. And um, I guess I'll just uh, kick this all off by uh, thanking David for the kind words. Um, I, he, he doesn't know me entirely well. He says I'm good people. Well, we'll leave that up for debate. Um, but I do appreciate it. So um, for for this, I actually wanted to go over um, two quick things. Um, promise I'll make them quick. I'll start off with just uh, the whole rights embrace of culture. Um, get your thoughts on that. And then after that, I'd just like to give a quick quick analysis of, of media and the midterm so far. So um, I'm going to start with the um, the right and celebrity culture. I think that this boils down to, and you had touched on it as well, the right and to a certain extent, the left, they crave what they do not currently have. The left currently does not have complete political control, but they have cultural control. The right has a semblance of political control, but they do not have cultural control. And this is um, th this is kind of an idiom, like I'm paraphrasing it, that has gone back a while as to the differences between the two sides. I think that you can look at the analogy um, perhaps best crystallized by the Supreme Court decisions from the left's perspective over the summer. The absolute collective freakout that they had was staring in the face of their lack thereof political control and just screaming into the abyss because there was nothing they could do about it, aside from potentially ignoring it. But that's another conversation for another time. Or trying to assassinate Scotus Justice. Well, sure, sure. Unsuccessfully, but here we are. Um, so, and that kind of brings me back to the present with the right and cultural control. They don't have it. And so the second that someone starts potentially even speaking their language, their heads perk up like prairie dogs. Now, um, I do think that it is a matter of them, you know, it, it, is, it is a foreign language for a lot of them, just the culture in general. And, you know, when they speak about it, how they don't come off sounding as a bunch of quite, quite honestly out of touch boomers. I'm of a couple of minds of this. I think that there, there does need to be a realization among many on the right that 
if if something might be too good to be true, that it probably is. And Kanye is not a good ally to have in this regard, even if, you know, he is very prolific in his music career with rapping and with all of his brands, et cetera. The, flip the, the other thing, that, real, real, real fast, the other thing this reminded yeah. me of was Christian Walker. This <sighs> Christian Walker, who's Herschel Walker's son, was kind of made into another C.J. Pearson celebrity style by the right. He even came out with like a clothing line that said canceled on it. And whenever this dude tweeted or opened his mouth, I'm like, he, this guy's not for real. Like, this is a fucking act. This is literally he's trying to sell. He's trying to make money off of, you know, conservative emotions. He's wearing cancel call. You can't cancel me. He had a TikTok and everyone was like, oh, here's a well, very well-spoken, educated young man. He's Herschel Walker's son. So it's great. And then if you were, you know, anywhere near the story with Herschel Walker this past two weeks, Christian Walker just blew up on Twitter at his dad. He's like, you're a fraud. You're a phony. And he suddenly became a darling to the media. He, his tweets were everywhere on every single journal's fucking feed the daily beast have post nbc they were christian walker da, da. someone even someone i think politico said is he the most relevant political son of any campaign here in recent memory and i'm just laughing i'm just like holy fuck you're the same people who froze the hunter by his laptop story i was just i couldn't believe it and it was one of those instances where I was just like, oh, I guess I guess this is the new guy. This is the new the new dude on Twitter now is Christian Walker. And this is another guy that's just not going to fucking go away. And he's going to be in our lives every day. So sorry to interrupt. That's what that reminded me of, where every like you said, something that was too good to be true. And here's this fucking guy, make, you know, this 20 something odd kid. And he's, you know, charismatic and he's singing and his whatever. And uh, he's making money off of canceled. Like, literally, I. I didn't know much about this kid. I saw him pop up and, you know, the patriotic people were like, oh, he's so great. Listen to him. He's he's not going to be intimidated. And he's making jokes about Joe Biden. And so everyone loved this. And then he said he was like selling a line of merch. And right there, I'm like, all right. And I clicked and I didn't know about it, But I went and I, I looked at this kid this week because he was all over my feed. And I go and look and it says, uh, you click on the link and he has like a hoodie that literally just says canceled across the front. And I just started fucking cracking up. And I was like, yep, here it is. Here's another one you guys fell for. The difference between him and David Hogg is media appearances. Um, I, I think that r really just, you know, kind of, kind of driving, driving the point home with culture. I mean, um, <laughs> Even pre-Donald Trump, I remember when there was a draft Arnold Schwarzenegger for president, um, you know, when he was running for, for governor of California, hey, let's amend the Constitution to have Arnold Schwarzenegger be our president, um, you know, and just like the various way that it does um, materialize itself. And, and, you know, you could say that, oh, maybe the right does need better guardrails. I've heard that. I've heard that repeated by certain bad faith people from media and the political left. Um, I think it's pretty obvious who I might be referring to um, talk about the need for quote unquote guardrails about it. But sometimes I think it's just a matter of we can't always let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, you, you know, and I think that's what draws a lot of people to Joe Rogan and, um, you know, to a much lesser extent like Greenwald and Taibbi where I think there is a realization where, hey, they are not one of us. They are not of us, but we share a common enemy. 
we share a skepticism of a common people. And I think that the right needs to take that kind of approach in a more in a broader standpoint, which is to not to automatically necessarily assume that they are your ally, but that perhaps they share a common enemy with you. And I think they would be happier as a result, or at least, you know, have more fruitful um, progression with their goals as a result, too. Well, yeah. And I mean, Taibbi's a great writer and Glenn Greenwald a, is a experienced journalist, like someone who's actually broken stories open. Um, so, you know, Kanye West isn't exactly the right version of Woodward and Bernstein here. And so, you know, the common ground, and you're right about that in the sense of, you know, as I've said in my conversations with Glenn Greenwald, if I told you back in 2012 that this is someone I talk to regularly, uh, I would have probably beat the shit out of younger me or older me. And you're right. He, he, we just basically disagree. We hate the right. We all hate the same people. And we see the threats coming. We see we do see how corporate media is lining up against free form of thinking and wrong think per, you know, for example, and you saw this with Kanye and you saw that with the tweet, which was, there were kind of several levels of criticism where they all, everyone kind of fell into their own boat, which was you had corporate media being like, this is what Twitter is going to be. If, if Elon Musk gets his way, we can't have this. And then of course you had Twitter removing the tweet and blocking his account um, then you have kind of people like me go, what the fuck is Louis Farrakhan still doing on Twitter then? Um, you can make an argument against certain members of the United States Congress at this moment. Um, and then you also had people just kind of go, good, get rid of him, whatever. And then, you know, everyone kind of, you saw this kind of thing of uh, ideological bubbles that everyone kind of has themselves in as far as that's concerned. And of course, uh, I take the two stances, which is the right should be nowhere near this guy that just because the guy, you know, puts on a MAGA hat and sits in the Oval Office does not, like you said, make him your ally. Um, and especially if you know who Kanye West has been his entire career, where most just about everything is a publicity stunt to further him his own career, which is fine. I'm asking that people don't fall for it and, and treat this guy like suddenly um, well, maybe we should vote for him in 2024 <laughs> or whatever. Um, and so, I, again, there, there are levels of nuance to this. It's just not the nuance that Candace fucking Owens is talking about. Or even I know Mike Cernovich was like, you know, people just really need to look through what he's actually saying. No, I think that all the Jewish people in all capital letters pretty much spoke enough for me there. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And my final point for tonight on um, just something somewhat off the, the beaten path with this is um, I was kind of wondering when this would take effect. And I think that it really has materialized in the past week um, where the media is trying to put their thumb on the scale or at least see which Senate races are worth intervening in. Um, and within the past week and a half, um, I think it's pretty clear that they settled on both Georgia and Pennsylvania. Georgia, because of the Daily Beast, Herschel Walker story, where they're just, you know, going full steam ahead with and you even, you know, as what you had alluded to with, um, with Christian Walker. I mean, that was just like a perfect storm for them. And Pennsylvania, um, Pennsylvania, honestly, um, out of desperation, um, with these two very the glowing profile of of the cave troll that we have running on the Democratic side, um, better in, in New York. Man. Yeah, I would argue there's more than that. We just saw NBC give him a fluff interview. 
538 just did a profile of him. Nate, Nate Silver kind of did a thing on his electoral chances. Uh, you did. You saw the New York Mag fluff piece. And you're right. You really do see them looking at, you see the press looking at these two stories, uh, looking at these two races in particular, which I would also argue shows just how terminally online they are because Herschel Walker on the right and Fetterman on the left, because of Fetterman's, you know, viral campaign, um, it shows you just how kind of terminally addicted and connected to Twitter our media is because they see these two races and they go, this is it. If we can get Walker knocked out and if we can get Fetterman, if we can drag shotgun Frankenstein across the line, then we're going to hold the Senate. Um, they're ignoring now. I think Nevada is one. They're ignoring obviously Ohio. I think they've thrown, they've thrown the towel in there. Masters is coming on in Arizona. That's not to say I know those are going to win. Um, Bennett can't hit 50% in Colorado. Oh, that looks like he's probably going to pull that out. Um, but if you, I mean, if you recall, they did the same thing last time uh, with Lindsey Graham's race. And they did this with a few others and Susan Collins. And they ended up losing. They went 0 for 9 on election night. And so I look at this and I go, maybe this works. I don't know how sitting down for a New York MAG interview helps Fetterman. I don't know what audience you're trying to reach there. And and to me, it's it's Oz's campaign isn't smart enough to make that connection unless they are and they're running ads. But it's like, what do you how are you over here talking to me about my house in New Jersey when you're sitting down for interviews with, you know, New York Mag or whatever? And it does kind of take, you know, the act off Fetterman. This NBC interview with him, which was just a softball interview uh, that I've been commenting on a good chunk of the day. Uh, it, it, you even you have members of media like you have Jonathan Cohen, you have people in the New York Times going, he does not come off well in this at all. Uh, he, they denied they denied medical records. They wouldn't give their medical records over to NBC. He's obviously sitting here with a like a like a Mac with a transcriber, and he required that of the reporters to, to in an agreement to do the interview, and NBC still agreed to do it. And I wouldn't have done it. I would have said, well, no, I'm going to talk to you because I want to know how you really are. So Fetterman is even in this interview putting up a facade of him needing him needing a transcribing machine to just hold a basic conversation. And even after this happened, the NBC reporter said it wasn't clear, like me just talking to him, like he knew what planet he was on. Um, and so I actually think that NBC interview probably hurts him more than it helps him. Uh, but you are right. There, There is a deluge of media. And as I said about the Herschel Walker story, Walker always had baggage. And we always knew that they were going to hold on to this stuff until right before the election. And I asked the question last last call in and, and on my podcast, not because they should have, because I don't think they should have. But why didn't Twitter block the Daily Beast story over Herschel Walker until they could confirm it through their third party ch- fact checking service. I think that's a legitimate question that now Twitter and Facebook should have to answer. Say, why did you not block this story? Is because you trust the Daily Beast? Well, here's three or four instances where the Daily Beast has been wrong or dabbled in disinformation, right? you know, X, Y, Z. And so I don't, I'm not sitting here saying they should have. I'm saying that the question should be asked of Facebook and Twitter why they didn't block this October surprise story. Um, it's, more is going to come out on Walker, by the way. Um, that's just me talking to people. It's not going to be pretty, but he could end up still winning. I mean, he could end up getting the Kemp vote because um, it looks like Abrams is thrown in the towel uh, and it doesn't look like she's going to win that. So if 
they can get Georgia to a runoff or something, it's going to be interesting. But so, go ahead, Joe. Oh, yeah, no. Um, I, I mean, I, I was just going to say, you know, speaking as, a, as someone who lives in Pennsylvania, um, uh, for, for my part, I think that the whole Fetterman, um, you know, with the NBC interview and just with, with a lot of this, um, with the media putting their thumb on the scale, I honestly think the reason is because they're freaked out. They, um, their internals on the Fetterman side must be terrifying with the way that they are going. And um, it's like you said, you know, particularly with the comment from John Martin at the New York Times where he does not look good. I mean, that is like, that's the last thing they want to hear. So, I mean, and also, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. You heard it here first. Um, he's not going to do the debate. There is no way in hell he is going to do the debate um, that's scheduled for two weeks from tonight. Um, you know, well, if, and, th- and this this is where Oz needs to take the gloves off. And people say it's because he's a doctor. Oz is another one. Uh, you know, when I talk about Kanye and I talk about the right latching themselves to celebrity culture, I said this on the podcast. Oz is another one. Herschel Walker's one where Trump is like, hey, you should just run because you're famous at football in Georgia. And it, okay. <laughs> um, and so maybe if those two lose, that'll be it. That, that'll be the end of people letting Donald Trump handpick, you know, his friends that should be on Celebrity Apprentice and nowhere near the Senate. Um, but they are. And the, the interesting thing about Fetterman in the debate requirements, he said he'll do one debate. And he, and he will only do it if he has a closed captioning allowed. And I think Fetterman basic or uh, Oz said, okay, fine, we'll just do this, whatever. And I'm sitting here saying, no, you're not going to, you're not going to, what is this? When this guy stands up in the Senate, is he going to be, are they going to wheel up a Mac for him to talk through or whatever? And this is the whole point. It's not about ideologically with Fetterman. It's about, can he do the job? And listening to constituents is part of the job. And what every time you hold a meeting, are you going to be, you know, demanding someone wheel up your your transcriber, whatever? And again, this is about the simple idea of being fit for the job, and that's it. And it just the guy happens to be a racist commie on the side. Um, and again, I look at you're in Pennsylvania, so you know better than I do. But I, I'm looking here, shaking my head at like, how is this guy even a fucking option? Like how, like how I get that there's just a base of Democrats who are like, no, we just need a warm body for the Senate. Um, The problem is Fetterman might not even be a warm body uh, for the Senate. And so um, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's insane to me. And, and, and the fact that Oz won't say, look, if you can't debate, how the fuck are you going to serve a six year term? And it's that simple. And you can do that and still have the ethics of being a doctor and you can do it and say, look, this is about your health. This is about you not being able to do the job. And that's how he came off in that NBC interview. Um, it just it comes off as a guy who's sitting there and he's reading off the monitor. And I, the best, the funniest excuse I saw was someone was like, oh, so you're you're opposed to politicians using teleprompters now. And I just the the way they are bending over backwards to tell you that this guy is OK, like New York Mag is selling him like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Um, is it's astounding. I, and I've said, you know, we did a whole episode on it. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it'll be, uh, it's going to be a really fun four weeks till, till election day. Well, good speaking with you, Stephen. I'll talk to you later. Uh, I'm going to take Brandon last and then uh, Opie, Zach, and then I see a new guy, Ron, back there. Uh, as I said, I'm going to be back here Thursday. So if you guys can make Thursday night, I'll make sure Opie is first and Zach is back there. So Brandon, go ahead and wrap us up. 
Um, and I do apologize for you guys back there, but I did want to, I want to keep this pretty tight to an hour or so. So Brandon, go ahead. You'll be our last caller. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Um, regarding this thing about culture, um, probably the worst thing about conservatives trying to sort of glom their way onto, onto mainstream culture by appropriating a, a, a couple quasi conservative celebrities. The problem is it just looks pathetic. I mean, you, you, you look like, like literally the 45 year old chubby dad who's boarding the fanny pack and the stonewashed jean shorts. And it, it just, it just seems like this, it has this whiff of like hang aroundism to it that just doesn't work. Um, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Kanye did this tour where he would, he would perform these like church service slash concerts on Sunday mornings. And, uh, David French and his family, I guess, went to one of these and David did a write up on it. And, uh, you know, it was, I don't want to be unfair to David. It was a good article and it was a really interesting experience. I'm glad he shared it, but it just sort of had this whiff of, yeah, you know, Kanye's a Christian just like us. And, you know, he's cool. And, and I'm like thinking like, David, Kanye is crazy. And he could be, you know, a black Israelite a few years down the road, you, you, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it, it just, you really have to, if, if you want cultural power and cultural relevance, you have to go off and do your own thing because that it, it, it looks, it's legitimate. It, it, it's, and it's, I don't know. I mean, if you look at people like, like say, like we talked, you talked about before, like the Babylon Bee and, you know, Ben Shapiro and the people at Daily Wire, that's the way to do it. You know, and if you want to attack woke mainstream culture, that's how you do it. You can just rel you can relentlessly mock those guys. And they've had a good, the Babylon Bee's had a good amount of success with that. You know, Matt Walsh has had a good amount of success with that. And really the, 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 the people who are probably most interesting and most relevant in culture right now, I say are the people who don't bow down to the wokes, people who are just, um, going off and doing their own thing and not giving a crap. And you know, most of these people aren't on the right or anywhere near it. You know, people like Chappelle and Bill Maher and Dave Portnoy and Rogan, you know, they'll go off and just do whatever they want to do. And when, you know, the woke school zone say, yeah, you can't say that. They'll just say, fuck off. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And they do it and they get away with it because they're, uh, they're, they're legitimate and they're original. And there's, you know, there's, there, there's no, uh, what am I? There's, there's, there's really no, just no substitute for that. Don't, you know, you, you can't be a fake and try to glom onto somebody else. You just have to go off and do your own thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's a reason why Joe Rogan is the most listened to podcaster in the country. And it's not because he's a conservative. Um, I mean, you could argue Rush Limbaugh, for instance, certainly was a conservative. And this is a guy who had a television show back in the nineties with Clinton on top of his radio and things like that. But I do think you're right that the people that are garnering the most audiences are kind of the people who are saying you're all full of shit in a way. Um, and again, it's not because Rogan who said, you know, he's, he, he, he might end up voting for DeSantis. And then I do think that there is a little bit of like how people follow that and say, well, if Rogan's saying this, then, you know, we'll get an audience. if We kind of do that. So you kind of see Mar doing that now. Um, I think it more, more or less boils down to, um, people are for the most part tired of gatekeeping media. And it's like you said, I don't think people handle, you know, people saying to Joe Rogan, you, what you can't talk about ivermectin that way. And he's like, what? Yeah, of course I can. I just did. Um, and then they saw kind of the campaign to get him kicked off Spotify and that didn't work. And as soon as that didn't work, it was kind of like, Oh, okay, I guess we'll just move on to the next thing. Um, and I think I saw like, 
Sonny Bunch from the Bulwark comment on that. It was like, remember that was a whole thing and now it just doesn't matter. Like people just forgot about it and moved on. Um, which is generally the way to outlast this kind of shit that they do. And that's, you know, that's what's interesting about this current thing about Ben Sass is if the University of Florida wants him, they had to know that they were going to get student protests from the left that are probably organized in all honesty. Um, because it's kind of like academia belongs to us. How dare you? Um, but if the University of Florida just says, well, these kids are just going to have to deal with it and, and it'll be over with in three weeks, then odds are it'll probably be fine. Um, I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. I'm, you know, I'm kind of jaded with this stuff. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they end up, if they do rescind the invitation for him to be the president. But uh, I think you're, the point that you kind of make is that it's it's generally the people who they're not catering to an audience. They're just kind of saying their thing. They're saying their belief. They're saying their jokes. And it has nothing to do with where they stand politically. And again, this started with Obama, where everyone everyone must take a stand on something politically now. And that's that literally was kind of Obama's policy, which was, remember, get in your neighbor's face and get people active that aren't active. And so people now feel kind of duty bound. Well, we've been doing that for you know, a good seven to 10 years. And people are, I think are just kind of tired of it and they have the mediums, they have the medium mediums to where it's like, no, I don't, I don't just have to watch CNN here who tells me Joe Rogan is bad. I'm going to actually go listen to him and uh, you can't stop me. So Brandon, I'll give you the last word. Go ahead. Yeah. Authentic, I think was the word I was looking for earlier, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much uh, the way I see that. Um, real quick, if you, if you have a minute to spare, I wanted to get your take on, what the motive was or what you think the motive was behind uh, PayPal uh, having this insane policy of finding their users $2,500 for spreading hate or misinformation. This, it's not just a coincidence that this came out a month before the midterms. Uh, I think you're pro you're probably correct about that. Um, two, I think it's corporate media intimidation. I think pay that's just where PayPal is. Um, they, they see kind of where other corporations are. They see where corporate media in particular is. Um, and I'm talking, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, powerful, you know, conglomerates that have, you know, that could, that could put PayPal on full blast and PayPal would say, oh, you know, whatever. Um, I think the timing of it is, I think you probably hit the nail on the head with that. Um, we saw Molly Ball's article shortly after the 2020 election about how, you know, it wasn't that the 2020 election was rigged in the sense of voting was rigged or anything like that. But they talked about how companies came together and they just inserted policies that were going to, you know, help defeat Donald Trump. Nothing illegal. They did everything kind of by the letter of the law, but it did show a kind of collusion between corporate media and corporations and stuff like that. And this to me is not something that's getting enough. I, I don't know, heading into two years away from now from 2024, it is something that's getting enough attention from the political right is how, how do you overcome that? Uh, especially when it's someone that, you know, you might actually like this time. And so I think you're right about the timing. And like I said, it, it when I, when I saw the story, it's one of those where I'm skeptical of, and it's skeptical because of, you know, the way it's getting shared. And then I go and I read about it. I'm like, huh? Yeah. It's kind of like saying, you know, one was disinformation campaigns, but we all know how that can be taken. Um, and we know that that's kind of also an excuse for censorship, as we saw with Nina Jankowicz and, and everything. 
And of course, when you defend it, or if you come out and you say, hey, what's going on here? This is wrong. Their fallback is to say that it's because you want to spread disinformation, um, which is, of course, not the case. It's because it's we know that uh, accurate information will get caught in this kind of stuff and information that they don't know of or something like we saw with the Hunter Biden story. And those are people that only have themselves to blame for that. So um, I, I don't know why they would institute that policy except for corporate wokeness, which is a thing that is happening now, which is a thing that, you know, like David said earlier, it's one of those things that I do think will wane in companies, I, you know, in the sense of, you know, diversity, inclusion, equity laws, you know, and something that David French has said that he's correct on is there are civil rights laws against a lot of this stuff and they will go to court and they will lose. And that might be how it gets defeated. Um, but PayPal to me is just, it's kind of another Silicon Valley company that's just falling in line. And this thing got leaked. And of course, as soon as they backtrack on it, I was like, oh, okay, well, that actually is really bad then. Um, and so, I mean, I think this is, you see what PayPal did and it's going to be interesting in a year from now, as we start to head into another national election, uh, this disinformation talking point and how prevalent it still is. Yeah, I even wonder if I even wondered if they were trying to uh, provoke some sort of violent January 6th type response where it would shift public opinion. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if they were trying to do that. Uh, I, 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 would I hope certainly not, think but... there are people in media who are trying to do that. We just saw media Hassan today just basically say, if Republicans lose, there's going to be a civil war. We dare you. We dare you, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, the thing about a January 6th style response to the midterm elections is it's not like a president and they're not counting votes at the Capitol. So I guess maybe there could be issues at uh, state capitals over not electing the senator you want. Uh, but I also think that people really don't give that much shit about midterm elections to care enough to like start a mutiny. Yeah. And the hilarious thing about this is, this is they ended up walking it back, which means they don't get a bounce from their side. And the right just does nothing but say nasty things about them, and they just leave it at that. So they get the worst of both worlds. Yeah, it, I mean, it was genuinely shocking that they, they it was a it was a full on no, we didn't write this, and that was the other thing. I was I was I was like, this is a, is this an actual memo? I'm going to kind of wait before I comment on this. But no, they they went full on. Uh, oh no, we didn't mean to publish this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally believable. Like, wait, what? Of course he did. Like, what are you talking about? But yeah, they went. To, they just went full on. Oops, our bad. This was an accident. We're removing that. And it's like, okay, so you put it in there. So why are you actually removing it? Is it because of the backlash? Because did you not think that was going to happen? Or again, yeah. because it, it looked like it kind of like fucking tanked some of your stock that day as well. And led to a mass of people canceling their PayPal accounts. And I was just kind of like, that's the worst thing you could possibly say, which yeah. was, oh, this was published in error. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that's pretty, that's pretty, pretty precise legal language you're using in a user term agreement. That stuff doesn't just get thrown out there. By like that goes through layers and layers of review before. It right. That's goes kind out. of like, that's like your legal, that's like your entire legal community uh, yeah. that wrote that thing up. So yeah, I mean, I just, I generally don't know. I don't know why they would publish it. And then also, I don't know why they would walk it back that way. So uh, PR, that's pretty much it. And they yeah. saw themselves trending on Twitter and just went, oh shit, get rid of this. So, yeah. All right, Stephen. Well, I'll let you uh, get some sleep now. Thanks for taking my call and have a good evening. Great. Thanks, Brandon.
Uh, again, sorry, sorry to you guys back there, uh, but I did want to wrap this up. I'm going to be doing this a couple more times this week. So hold on to your thoughts, hold on to your questions or whatever. And uh, I'll make sure that if uh, those of you that I had to cut off, I'll make sure you guys kind of get to jump, jump the lunch line Thursday. Uh, this is episode 49, Musk off, Musk on. Uh, some good thoughts, uh, a rich topic um, that's certainly not going to go anywhere anytime soon. And so uh, anyone who also wants to leave comments or whatever, you can certainly do that over on Patreon and I can look into it there as well. Uh, I will be back on Patreon tomorrow and then I should probably be back here Thursday, uh, hopefully a little bit earlier, but we'll see. So once again, thanks to uh, callers. Thanks to you guys for joining. You keep this show up here on Colin near the top. I think I had, uh, I tapered off uh, a little bit cause I just haven't done this in a week or so. But again, thank you for, uh, listening. Thanks for spending some, you know, an hour of your weeknight. And again, thanks to my callers. Uh, I'm Stephen O. Miller. This is Versus Media Live on Colin, and uh, I will see you guys back on Patreon tomorrow and most likely back here on Thursday. Cheers.